Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I have a gorgeous conversation with one of my teachers, Joshua Silvey, about the spiritual experience of practicing embodiment. The mystical experience is often qualitatively one of connection. Everyone who who is able to expand enough will report this interesting experience of, you know, all is one. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I am your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now.
Joshua Silve is a somatic psychologist, and he was my professor in my somatic experiencing training. He was actually my final professor in the advanced module. And I was really drawn to him because I could feel this um, embodiment of the work in his life and how he talked and how he showed up. And I'm very attracted to authenticity. And um, I was excited to hear about his ideas around the spiritual experiences, the more far out realms that come as a result of embodiment. There are so many people I've worked with who um, are in the spiritual community who are very disembodied because the focus is more on the etheric realms, the astrological realms, the fairy realms, the hidden realms, and the mysterious, you know, veils of the in-between worlds, and we tend to lose our bodies. And my experience is the body is so sensational, like literally filled with sensation, that as we develop the capacity to really anchor into that body, we can experience so much of the world. In fact, we can experience the universe itself just by looking at the moon or breathing in the wind or putting water up to your mouth. Really simple, seemingly mundane experiences become so sensational and sometimes sexual and always safe when you have the capacity to show up to them. And we develop that capacity through somatic experiencing, which is what I teach and offer, as well as other embodiment techniques that help us build the resilience for our nervous system to actually experience life force energy without getting overwhelmed. When a body gets overwhelmed by life force and by energy, it dissociates. We vacate, we being that conscious witnesser. You can call it the ego, the soul, the spirit, whatever you want to call it. But our conscious self that witnesses this life through our eyes leaves the body temporarily and vacates because there's too much sensation and we can't handle it. It's an extremely kind and generous gift that the body gives to us so we don't have to actually experience things that we can't handle. However, when we're living in a dissociated state, which usually comes from developing in dissociated states from multiple endless traumatic and threatening and overwhelming events, then we're always living slightly outside of our bodies which means I can't fully experience the lusciousness of the wind. I can't fully experience the decadence of biting into an apple. I can't fully experience the the warmth of the body of the stranger sitting next to me on the subway. Again, when we're embodied, these seemingly mundane daily events become deeply profound experiences. Experiences as profound as I'm told happen during plant medicine rituals. Psilocybin, mushrooms, cannabis, ayahuasca, all these plant medicines, these beings going into our bodies and creating the capacity for us to feel the beyond. I've 
maybe as a Virgo, have always been very attracted to feeling the beyond from a place of sobriety. Not with any judgment toward plant medicine, but just from some internal desire to not have to use anything but my own body. And that's what pulls me into this work so deeply. If there's any practice I've ever been devoted to more besides music, it's embodiment. And finding safety and building resilience and capacity so I can fully experience this extremely um, mind-blowing realm of earth. So I leave you with that, and I leave you with this beautiful interview with Joshua Silvey. So today I have the pleasure of welcoming Joshua Silvey. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I had the I had the honor of um, having you walk me across the finish line. Um, yeah, <laughs> of my SE uh, SE years, four years. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, I loved it because I I wasn't sure. I, I love the tactile experience of training and being witnessed and being with you know my cohort has kind of become my family and we traveled around the country together at this point and mm. so to not have that uh at first was disappointing but then you're you know you offered me something um that was so beautiful there was such a settled sense of being just coming from your voice and your body and your face through the screen and through the the way you hold space and teach that mm. I just felt so happy to be there so mm. thank you for that yeah, for sure. You're so welcome. It was great to have you in the training. I don't know if you remember, there was one point where you actually played a fairly pivotal role in one of the demonstration sessions that we had. A person who was receiving support asked you to come on screen and be part of the part of the group. And mm-hmm. it was uh, good to work with you in that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the Zoom trainings, you know, it's been such a curious thing for me. At, at first, it was... I was fairly well convinced that you couldn't really do somatic experiencing uh, trainings through an online format. Mm -hmm. It just didn't make sense to me. And uh, I've been very uh, mostly, you know, pleasantly surprised by how well it works. And, you know, even talking about how we touch people, you know, Mm -hmm. which was the main topic of this module we were together for. that, you know, even that can occur over distance. Mm-hmm. You know, it really challenges, I think, some of our our received notions of, you know, materiality and energy and spirit uh, in very intriguing ways. Well, I think that's what set up my um, my curiosity to have you on here to ask you questions because exactly what you just said, I remember thinking, this is so funny that we're doing a touch-specific module distance. <laughs> <laughs> different countries, different states. I just yeah. thought, how, how far out, really? And um, not unreal, just far out. And, and I, think, I think what became really interesting to me was actually how SE it really was. Because I got to experience through being the participant, like the client for practice sessions, how it feels in my body when I give permission to be touched. And that was what was so strange to me 
was someone through the computer saying, okay, I'm going to have the intention of putting my hands on your shoulders. And when they would say that, something in me would have to open to allow that. Mm -hmm. So, and this is segueing into a question. For me, it it gave me more clarity around Mm -hmm. co-regulation. As you know, essentially... um, essentially like a, a, an open invitation to experience whatever's around me. Uh, even though the person wasn't physically there, something about my consent of being open to even someone imagining touching me was instantly settling. Mm. And I wanted to ask you about that because I, when we first started learning co-regulation, there was such a focus on human beings. And I do a lot of work with indigenous cultures and relative is everything. It's not just human. Right. So I'm curious about your personal experience and as a teacher, what you think around co-regulation, part one of the consent of opening to receive, being so settling. And when you're open to receive, it could be a plant or a rock or the wind. And there's this regulating effect. I'm really curious about that. Mm, yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, one of the things that I've endeavored to do teaching somatic experiencing trainings and other educational efforts is to broaden our dialogue about co-regulation. You know, that uh, so much in traumatology, you hear about self-regulation, you know, that, that trauma is a breakdown in our capacity to self-regulate. And so the thing that we're needing to do as practitioners is increase the capacity for self-regulation, which I think is, is a very laudable goal. Um, but, you know, if you think about our individual journey that we take through our maturational sequence, you know, we don't come into this world with the ability to self-regulate. Babies don't have regulatory capacity. I mean, they don't even know uh, how to regulate their own body temperature. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're utterly and completely dependent on uh, you know a, a reasonably well attuned caregiver to provide that regulatory influence, and I really think that that's what sets up this capacity for self regulation. You know, it's not uh, it's not a top down effort mm-hmm. that you know we can invent. You know, it's having the experience of cycling through what we call activation and deactivation with another nervous system. And we're so built for this, you know, the, all the research on biological synchrony is just so, so clear that, you know, we, uh, we regulate instantaneously and non-consciously, non-volitionally when we're in proximity with, with others. Hmm. This is true uh, of other human beings, but also I think other mammals. And, um, and then as, as you're saying, my sense is that we're really built to experience the entirety of the surround as co-regulation. You know, that, that in a natural environment, you know, peopled with other organisms, you know, our systems are designed to find that sense of relative safety when it's there, you know, when there's not, you know, a threat or danger in the environment. And then be able to anchor to those other organic beings as a way to invite our systems to be more settled. Mm-hmm. 
and you know further if i'm not taking us too far out too quickly you know the 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 mystical experience is often qualitatively um one of connection you know every everyone who who is able to expand enough will report this this interesting experience of you know all is one and I think for our nervous system focus, you know, we could say that that's co-regulation. I love that. And nothing's too far out for this podcast. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> My listeners are amazing. Um, where that takes me is I've been really, you know, contemplating and, and practicing through my body almost seeing uh, self, what we call self-regulation as a co-regulation between the, the mind or the spirit or the consciousness and the body. Mm. So it's almost like the, the mind and our conscious energy, whatever that, that being is, the soul, whatever it is that witnesses us and, and where the identity comes from. When that becomes, when we, when we practice the mindfulness of being in, in aware of that witnessing, and then we practice the embodiment of I'm not this body, like I'm inhabiting it. Mm-hmm. There's this, for me, this healthy separation, not disconnect, but this healthy separation of distinguishing the two. And then when I hear and I practice and I teach self-regulation, I really feel like what I'm experiencing is my mind or my spirit is in such beautiful relationship to the body the body doesn't feel alone and there's Mm. this like beautiful settling that occurs Mm. i just wonder how you if you experience that what your thoughts are on that Mm -hmm. uh i i i do think that it's it's possible to skip a step you know when we're pursuing uh, a spiritual path you know I i think in some ways the eventual goal may involve some kind of disidentification with the body. Mm. You know, in, in order to access that fuller, wider sense of participation in the cosmos, you know, we, we may need to, to recognize that this, this temple, you know, that we inhabit is not the extent of our, uh, our being. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so there's this this that fundamental truth. Um, but before that, I think you know, previous to that, we need to come very directly into relationship with with our flesh, you know, with uh, all of those manifold processes in us that are uh, responding sensitively, you know, to the world that we find ourselves in. And so for me, there's really something around trying to hold both of those things, you know, that I'm always and forever local in, in these tissues and my, uh, my capacity to be friendly to what's happening within myself and to be open, to be an open receiver of the, the wisdom of this organism. Mm. But then to also recognize that there's this, this aspect of what I could call, quote unquote, me, I'm doing air quotes uh, now, which your <laughs> listeners won't be able to see. Um, <clears throat> there's this capacity of me that is very much beyond, uh, you know, these, uh, this, this skin uh, boundary. When you said the wisdom of the body, um... That brought me, you know, I guess 
that's like the doorway for me about this philosophy of um, healthy separation, like the distinction between the two. Because um, two things, there's the, there's the idea of vacating the body, which is what, you know, how I see dissociation. You know, we, we vacate because we can't handle what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Or we can't, we don't think we're going to, the body doesn't think it's going to survive the threat. So it shuts it down so we don't have to deal with it. It's very kind if you really look into it, right? So kind. God's so grace. Right, <laughs> right. And, and so that's like a vacating until it's over, whatever the threatening it is. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, um, what you were explaining, how I heard it, there's this wholeness where I've created this, this friendly relationship to my body. I've learned its language, which essentially is sensation. I've been able to feel you know, my mind in my body. Like I, I understand how these two realms connect to each other. And through that is kind of this wholeness where if I'm walking through the, the woods, I might kind of feel like I'm that tree, you know, like the way mm-hmm. people do, the reason why a lot of people do drugs because they actually want to feel so, I don't mean drugs to water down a beautiful spiritual experience, but the way, reason why people would take something mm-hmm. is to expand, right? The, that consciousness and that embodiment of the everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm just throwing all this out there because I'm so interested with the wisdom of the body as I've practiced SE more and more. You're really witnessing this other thing outside of you that knows everything it needs and we just are kind of learning how to follow it versus get in the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I said a lot. I don't know what, you know, wherever that takes you. I'm just curious your thoughts. Yeah, I'm, you know, if, if we've had... Uh, access to these non-ordinary states of consciousness, you know, whether through uh, consciousness opening medicines or drugs or other kinds of mystical experiences, we know that to have the experience of being the tree watching us Mm. um, is non-pathological. And that, that in a sense is, I think, part of our repertoire of of experiential capacities that lead to a full and meaningful life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's always about being at home and, and that being, being at home in the body, but then also knowing that there's just more to it than that. What I find from that, the way of um, perceiving and experiencing and living that then there's this really relational kindness with everything. You know, you see everything is so equally valuable. Mm. And then a lot of the issues we have in society and within ourselves start to dissolve, you know, as the individual goes through that, the mm-hmm. each individual dissolves that. And, you know, hopefully the collective begins to dissolve these things that separate us. Hopefully. Right. Right. And, you know, I think in, uh, you opened up this, this line of inquiry earlier around indigenous uh, earth-based cultural modes. And, you know, often there is that sense of, of not just the idea of connection, but the experience of connection, mm. you know, that there's a, a sense of being a part of this family of things and a conviviality, you know, that is, uh, I think, necessary. I don't think our psyches are 
doing so well with this whole mode of, you know, distanced, um, you know, scientific inquiry mm. into the world around us. It, it seems to be creating, it seems to be part of the recipe that, you know, is creating uh, what, what looks in many ways to be a culture teetering on the brink mm. as it's trying to navigate through, you know, this, this, uh, what I think is a kind of dissociation. Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways, you know, the, the mind-body split and the ways that so many people are walking around just utterly disconnected from themselves is mirrored in our relationship with the natural world. You know, that those, those two, in many ways, I think, go hand in hand. You know, I, I've, I've, um, I've been experiencing that for a while and only recently found the words or the language of um, presenting that to people you know, who I work with mm-hmm. and to myself. And I guess I could use a personal example to respond to that because when I was younger, I had a lot of body shame. And I remember one of the things that started healing it was I would look at the trees and I would see these big, like bulbous tumor-like growths on them. Mm-hmm. And they were gorgeous. Like no one ever thought there was something wrong with the tree. And so it was this simple example of um, if my body was able to be its natural self and my mind could decolonize a bit and just see the wild natural land of the body, the way it saw the tree, there was this kind of, you know, reflectional relationship, if that makes sense. Yes. So when you say, you know, disassociation that shows up into our relationship with the natural world, you know, I think it's very profound because to do painful things to other people or other beings, you have to do it from a place of dissociation so you don't feel the pain you're causing, right? right? And if you're embodied, you simply couldn't, you couldn't bear to hurt someone because you would feel that hurt. It would, it would wake you up to what you were doing. Right. I'm, I'm curious your, your um, you know, input around that. Well, I, I do think that there's tendencies towards sadism you know, that can show up in our psyches you know, when they're damaged. And so uh, I think that there are folks, you know, walking around among us who might actually uh, enjoy that experience of causing harm, you know, whether it's causing harm to another person or to, uh, to other entities, you know, in our world around us. And, you know, there's a, a whole kind of direction we, we could go around kind of looking at uh, industrial civilization and its relationship to nature seemingly being one that has a kind of sadism uh, wrapped up in it. But <clears throat> I think fundamentally what I might want to say is just a, a lot of appreciation for the way that your framing of this uh, emphasizes kindness. Mm. You know, this kindness towards ourselves, this kindness towards our bodies and towards then how that opens into this kindness uh, towards the world around us. I feel enormously blessed in that most of the time, I inhabit a world that I experience as fundamentally kind mm. towards me. You know, like I was having this experience recently, um, sitting, I live in the woods out here outside of uh, Portland, Oregon. And I was having a moment, you know, as we do. <laughs> <laughs> Just sitting, sitting with the trees, sitting with all the all the critters. And I just had this feeling like 
because I was I was sort of spinning out in my head about something, you know, some conversation that, you know, hadn't gone the way I wanted it to or some moment where I felt misunderstood or something. And uh, and I realized all of a sudden. The world doesn't care about my drama. Mm. Like all of all of these organisms that I'm surrounded by. They don't care. They don't care about all of my neurotic trip and, you know, my whole like, oh, I got to defend myself and make sure that, you know, I win in the end and all that stuff. It's like, uh, I just, I just felt like they're there and they, they, they're ready to engage and they want me to be here, but they don't really care about all that other stuff. And there was something about that that just felt so liberating that it's like this, this world is, is here and I am here. And there's this opportunity for this kind of engagement where, you know, we can be um, reciprocal, you know, in this kind of this thing that I think you're calling kindness. And there's something very magical about that. Completely agree. And just, just a little confession. I keep going, mm. Because <laughs> what we're talking about is so luscious. I usually mute my microphone, so I don't do that. Um, but I'm, I'm being raw tonight, today, we could say. Um, nice. You know, I, I love that because I think of those videos where you watch like the Impala being chased by the cheetah or something. Mm-hmm. And I find it so, so powerful that the cheetah gets exhausted, falls over to take a breath, and the Impala is like 10 feet from it, just eating some grass. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the Impala isn't identifying the cheetah as a murderer or mm-hmm. a threat. Or it's just like in that moment, oh, this is over. New mo. It's so radically present. And when you were saying the trees don't care, when a human being embodies that, it's like to our conditioned minds, that looks really cool at first because it mm. seems almost like... Um, like, I don't, I don't care about your happiness. I, I don't even know what the words would be, but and in a way that's true. Like if that's embodied, mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> it's not my position or my work to care about your happiness. Like, right. my, you know, my, my, <laughs> sounds so ridiculous, but my work is to care about my happiness. So I'm just by default kind to you. Right. And so when you said that, I was seeing that personified, like the tree is doing the tree so mm-hmm. it can just be there for whoever needs the tree. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And for sure. And there, you know, it, and when we're all in our our biological exuberance, you know, when uh, Peter Levine, the originator of somatic experiencing, he talks about, you know, life force or vitality. When we can clear the way for that to come through, you know, there's often waiting for us. I think this kind of of meeting that can be very, very nourishing. So aiming for that, you know, and, and, and that I love this idea of, you know, this position that, that doesn't say uh, in some, you know, kind of paternalistic fashion, like, you know, I'm here to, to make, you know, to make you a certain way, but is rather like, I am here and I am alive. Mm. And your, as your livingness, you know, comes forward to meet mine. So definitely uh, going far out pretty quick, but, um, you know, I have been accused of being a tree hugger uh, in the past and I will now uh, uh, admit I am a literal tree hugger. 
as I connect, you know, as, as I connect with these other biological beings, you know, there's, there's an, there's an energy there. And that is, I could be making all this stuff up, but I'm pretty darn sure that, uh, that it's not, it's not all projection, you know, and that Mm -hmm. there really is something, some kind of mm, synchronicity, you know, that, that is, uh, I think has always been, uh, in our time on this planet, a huge resource for human organisms. And, um, and something that, again, I think we've, uh, sadly kind of lost track of a bit. I couldn't agree more. And I think, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about, I'm laughing cause like I live in Woodstock and I hug trees and it's, <laughs> I talk to them and I kiss them and like, you know, <laughs> like I walk barefoot over the grass and like sometimes amazing, you know, sexual energy comes into my body. It's like, there's mm. so much energy in the earth. It's mm. insane how much energy mm. it's on. Libido. So much because there's yeah. no, there's no withholding. It's mm-hmm. so benevolent and non-dual and it indiscriminate with its energy it's just this constant like like robin wall kimmerer talks about and i don't know if you ever read braiding sweetgrass mm-hmm. but she talks yeah. about like the gift economies it's like that's nature it's just endlessly giving you whatever it got right. <laughs> and i think when you say about i'm here and i'm alive and the life force is coming in you don't even have to think about it you're just connecting mm-hmm. and my colleagues and I were talking about this one time and they said something like, we're using an example of, of the masks, you know, in, with the pandemic. And I was saying, yeah, sometimes if I go to the store and there's like a clerk and I'm, I'm looking at them, I try to like really look deep at them so we can have this moment of connection. Yeah. And it's so fun and intimate even for 10 seconds. And, and my, my friend said, I don't know if I'd be as generous with my nervous system as you'd be. And it doesn't feel generous. It, it doesn't feel like anything special. It's just like when you're in that flow, it's just kind of happening, isn't it? For sure. I, I have become conscious of when wearing a mask, how my eyes become more expressive. And I think at first there was some efforting involved. You know, I remember that first time being in a store, passing by somebody smiling at them and then realize they can't see me smile Mm. you know back in april of last year whatever that was when we you know first fearfully ventured out of our homes you know (laughs) to get some kombucha or whatever uh uh and and I, I remember in that moment saying, okay, I'm going to need to bring a little something more and, uh, and, you know, made a practice of looking at people and really brighten, intentionally brightening my eyes, you know, and, and I reflected on uh, Diane Poole Heller, uh, who's one of the uh, SE faculty and has branched out to do a lot of training on working with developmental trauma. Mm-hmm. She talks about when she's with clients, and uh, an intervention that she'll do. Uh, she calls the beam gleam. No, the gleam beam. <laughs> where, you, you know, as you would with a baby, you know, you kind of like, you, you open your eyes a little bit wider and you feel how there's that sort of gleam that can come through. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, started to, to do a little bit more of that then might be my default, you know, when I'm sort of out in the world. 
and I really noticed that there would be a, a meeting that could happen, you know, with that and in some way in which I could, uh, you know, lend my nervous system uh, generously or not to try to help to bring down, you know, the activation in our collective system, which mm. was, you know, it was readily discernible how uh, and, and still how amped, you know, everybody mm. is right now. I love that. You know, I want to ask you, because I'm being cognizant of time, I'm, I'm just curious how you found your way into this work, you know, because it's so specific, such specific work. And mm. those who really live it and breathe it usually come to it from a place of suffering or strange experiences. Or I'm just curious, what, what was it that led you to this? What was your life like before this and how did it impact it? Mm. Well, lots of suffering, <laughs> lots of strange experiences for High sure. Five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think that I would be as avid and passionate uh, proselytizer for somatic experiencing as I am had it not been such a profound transformative influence in my own life. So, uh, you know, for sure, um, there's been uh, a very vivid personal journey that informs everything that I do uh, as an educator and as a clinician. But um, I think maybe most proximal um, to the kind of dropping into to SE specifically, you know, I was, um, and also quite germane to this conversation we've already been having, um, I was in my earlier years uh, an activist you know, involved in different social justice movements and, um, you know, working uh, for ecological defense in different ways. And like many of us, you know, who were active in those movements at a certain point became very disillusioned, you know, with the prospect that we were ever going to be able to convince people that it's a good idea to conserve and preserve your habitat you know, which seems self-evident to me and seems like the kind of thing that you should be able to just kind of put out there in a sentence or two and people are going to say, oh, right, okay, let's change our, our practices, you know. Um, and, uh, and so I got interested in psychology, you know, mostly through that lens mm. and found my way into what's called uh, eco-psychology, you know, looking at the relationship between humans and the natural world. Uh, found a a philosopher that's been a huge influence on me, uh, this man, Paul Shepard, wrote a book called uh, Nature and Madness. And, you know, it begins with his, uh, his question, um, why, why do humans persist in destroying their habitat? And goes from there into a, a, a really interesting exploration of uh, some of the uh, ways in which civilization might deform fundamental human capacities, you know, including the capacities that we've been talking about for reciprocity and engagement. And that is actually what led me to somatic experiencing. And I just got so inspired by this, you know, to the look at trauma and nervous system dysregulation and how that fundamentally thwarts, you know, our ability to, to be fully at home in our bodies, to to access, you know, our, our natural proclivities for uh, reciprocity and engagement and um, a settled, efficient 
nervous system function, you know, that supports us to be oriented to our world and ready to engage with it. Um, you know, all of that just made so much sense. And so from there, I, I, I went and got a master's degree and became a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist and, uh, and started, you know, working uh, directly with people more, you know, with this hope that, as we're saying, you know, we're, we're, we're all involved, whether we like it or not, in this process of co-regulation. And we're, we're always and forever influencing each other. And, you know, we're in a very literal sense stuck with each other mm. and, um, and subject to, you know, the, the influence of each other's systems. Um, and, you know, so my hope has always been that as I work with people and I support their systems to become more regulated, and I, sh I should name that by regulated, I mean, uh, having the capacity to be in the optimal state of arousal for my current circumstances. You know, sometimes in, in, especially in spiritual circles, you might hear people talking about regulation and it sounds like a synonym for calm. You know, like the goal is to always be kind of chill or Zen or something. And, and so, you know, you're regulated to the extent that you're just like, you know, unflappable or something. But um, what's true, I think, is that, you know, we want a system that's fluid and most importantly, flexible so that we can meet the demands of different situations and, you know, where we might need to advocate for ourselves and, and others. You know, it could be that some more of that healthy aggression is really what's called for, you know, or in other situations, uh, you know, we, we do want to be able to feel really at home. And uh, I mean, ideally, we're going to feel at home all the time, but, you know, we might want to access those deeper states of, of calm and um, that sort of Pacific uh, quality of, of, you know, really um, being ready to engage. So that, you know, the idea that, that as, as people access more of that regulation, that begins to radiate out you know, and their, their influence then becomes one that supports greater regulation in the in others around us. And then, you know, ideally then rippling out, you know, the world. Mm. I love that. Um, it's very, very kindred to my own journey. Mm. I love I specifically the piece of um, being an environmental uh, social activist. I was like an environmental social animal activist. Mm. And I, I, there was such a different feeling and then I became a nutritionist. You know, I went to school for psychology, dropped out for certain reasons, became a nutritionist. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> and I, <laughs> and one of the reasons was I was, I was um, working at this health food store while I was studying psychology and I was noticing, oh my God, these people with all these quote psychological issues are healing in a matter of weeks as their gut heals. Yeah. Like, why don't I just teach people how to eat? I don't have to do psychotherapy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but what's really cool is, you know, through watching people change their relationship to food, they change their relationship to earth and they mm. change their relationship to body. And so I had been doing that for six or seven years and then I discovered SE and I was like, that's the link I needed. Nice. And so when you say what you said, what you just said, it's like, it's a much more experiential way because there's like the trying to prove something to somebody, uh, which for me, when I was an activist, it was teetering on the edge of controlling people. And then 
going into the the somatic experiencing realm or the food realm, they got to physically feel a shift in their body that they couldn't forget. And from there, it was like this natural, you know, um, opening to things in a very mm-hmm. kind way. Is that your mm-hmm. experience too? Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that's always my experience. You know, some people, um, you know, might not make the kinds of progress that I would ideally want to see uh, in our work together, at least at, at the time scale that would be my preference. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know, psychotherapy can be a, a a tricky business for sure, but yeah, you know the uh, the the goal is is for me is you know always looking for that self organizing tendency, and uh, sometimes it's a subtractive process rather than an additive process. You know, rather than equipping people with new insights or um, you know particular. Uh, practices, you know, to try to control or domesticate our internal experience. It's looking for those ways in which we're thwarting that self-organizing tendency, inviting those out of the way so that that thing can actually come forward more. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, And for sure, I mean, the, the research, you know, is quite clear that our gut, uh, you know, our microbiome is absolutely influencing our psychological experience. And, you know, everything from uh, fecal transplants to, uh, you know, the influence of lactobacillus, you know, all of these are are, uh, resulting in shifts, you know, lowered uh, prevalence and intensities of depression and anxiety and, you know, it's a it's a real thing that that the body and the mind are not two different things, and uh, and the you know the the friendlier we get with our bodies, uh, the the easier going our our mental experience will be. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy that you came here and that we got to <laughs> <laughs> we Me got too. to speak. I'm really happy that. Um, because of the pandemic, I had to sign up for your course because I would have been in San Diego, I think, with Raja. No, San Francisco. <laughs> in San Francisco with Kathy. It was with Kathy. So I'm, I'm really happy that everything worked out the way it did because you're a you know, wonderful human being. And it's so, mm. so fun to chat with you. If you lived here, I would hug trees with you all day. So. <laughs> you got to do it. You got to do it. Can we do that sometime? Yeah, for sure. It's going to be a hangout. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I really thank you for your work and, and your teachings and being my teacher and being a, a just a beautiful person to orient toward to deepen my understanding of this work. Oh, man. Yeah, you, you as well. Thank you so much. It's been great uh, getting to hang out with you and talk about all this stuff. For more information or to work with Joshua, you can visit him at sylvae.net. That's S-Y-L-V-A-E dot net. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing right now? Sit with it, let it speak to you, and let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen, for all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. For more information on my work, 
including my online courses and healing circles, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, where I share weekly philosophies and resources to help you release stress and trauma from your body so that you can live a happier life. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give in to mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.